0: You just got to do things that are a little bit beyond people's expectation and imagination. I am unwilling to give up. That I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get.
1: Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden, and this is the Kara Golden Show. And I'm super, super excited to dive into our next guest's life and career journey. And today we're talking to Jeff Rosenthal, my friend and just an amazing, amazing entrepreneur. I've been wanting to get him on here for a long, long time. Jeff is the co-owner, principal designer, and developer of Summit Powder Mountain and Powder Mountain Ski Resort in Eden, Utah. And he's an entrepreneurial trailblazer um, in the world of environmental sustainability. And he's now the co-author of a book called Make No Small Plans, which I'm super, super excited to chat with him about that and uh yeah i mean just more than anything welcome jeff really excited to have you here
0: thank you for having me it's such a pleasure such a huge fan of yours Kara.
1: oh you're so awesome well i I, you know it was funny somebody was asking me about summit the other day and the first uh I'll, i'll never forget because a lot of my inspiration. Not only are you inspiring, but somebody else that we have a mutual connection with, uh, Rachel Sklar. And mm-hmm. I met Rachel at Summit. In fact, I met a lot of people at Summit. And I think that's probably everybody's story for anyone who has um, you know, been to Summit, that the number of people that I still have connections with. And so the first one that I went to was actually before you had the mountain at Tahoe at Squaw. Mm-hmm. And I remember um I went with uh Ty, and who's another summiter, and uh we met there, and uh she introduced me to Rachel Sklar, and the two of us just started talking, and now Rachel founded something called the List, and uh which has just been um so educational for me and so much of sort of my learning journey has come from that so anyway it's all due to you jeff
0: ultimately it's due to ty i mean like you know ty is incredible she's john legend's manager and founder of friends at work and uh one of really like you know quietly the leading activists in criminal justice policy reform she's been doing it for a very very long time and in a major way and uh the fact that she brought you into Summit is really the key to our success it's the fact that you know I think it was the right idea at the right time. this concept of gathering interdisciplinary intergenerational entrepreneurs and the event you're talking about was in two thousand and twelve, so it was like kind of you know very oh. much all of us were at the beginning of our entrepreneurial journeys and so you of course, you guys all went to go on and build remarkable things and yeah i'm just a, I'm flattered to be here i'm very appreciative you know and and we started Summit when we were 23 and 24 years old, so it was 2008 when we kicked this off.
1: That's awesome. Um,
0: and yeah, it's been it's been quite a journey.
1: So, what made you think about it? I mean, what was sort of the you know you were so your co-founder and you like give us the backstory on that
0: so i threw parties in college with brett lee one of my Mm co-founders um he and i i was at uh, american university he was at george washington and we were both entrepreneurs we had our own little startups and so we bonded on that and uh after school i had gone to new york and he was in dc he called me and said hey uh me and my buddy elliot are throwing this event in mexico so the very first summit elliot actually did by himself he was 19 and had a company called Biznow in dc um, 19, was he 19? No, he was like 20, 22, 23. But he got 19 people together in Park City, Utah in 2008. Um, and he put it all on his credit card. So the second event was like six 2008
1: too, which 2008. is like, yeah. crazy time.
0: Yeah, so it, right after the recession, of course, and we all had, I, Brett and I had graduated two years earlier. And the second event was six months later. It was on a beach in Mexico. And when Brett called me and said, hey, this is the idea that we have, maybe you want to help us do it, invite some people, find some sponsors, whatever. I was like, oh my God, 15 minutes ago, I had no excuse to reach out to anybody interesting. And now you just called me with a skeleton key that gives me an excuse to like anybody that I want to reach out to, I can now call and I have something of value to present and provide. Um, And so, you know, we, we, while we were putting together that Mexico event, it was you know, 60 people, beach in Mexico, but many of the attendees ended up becoming like generational luminaries in their fields, whether they're impact or technology or consumer. Um, some really, really remarkable people were there. And our, our third event was at the Obama White House a month after they took office, like 150 days after we started Summit. So it was such an exponential curve for us um in terms of like this thing just kicking off and happening but it was really necessity it was the mother of innovation for us you know like we were young entrepreneurs we had our own small businesses um and when you're a young entrepreneur you typically are screwing stuff up and then hopefully not repeating those mistakes and uh you know we were getting more wrong than we were getting right and so just the very first time that we were around other people that were like passionately building something as entrepreneurs startup founders or you know, like, like people had started their own nonprofits. It wasn't particular to a specific field. It was just that kind of like, energy, and that necessity of self improvement. Um, And and we were all like, you know, of course, humble, because we didn't know anything. Like, you know, everybody was very...
1: How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined Too, Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year.
0: Much, you know, at the feeling that they were at the start of their journey. So people gave each other a lot of respect. Um, so that was it. That's how we kicked the thing
1: off. So interesting. So do you feel like I mean, did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur or were you just hearing you describe what you described just now, it it seems like community was such a I mean, just such a driver. Like did you even know what you were starting or did you just want to bring a lot of people t- together? I mean, was was what was sort of the lead on that?
0: I'm very lucky that I come from a really big Lovely family. Uh, I'm in Dallas, Texas, where I'm from um, right now. And uh, my my grandfather, one of his great quotes was, uh, "The greatest luxury in life is a large extended family." So this, as like a value and as an appreciation for like the depth of both the family that you have and the family that you choose, it was something that was very innate in me. In terms of, you know, throwing parties is also, like, it was a business, but it was also very fun in college to, like, gather your friends, right? And have, again, mm-hmm. an excuse to, like, get everybody together and to help steward some good times for your, for your, for your homies. But, um, you know, I think that that, that word community, uh, it's interesting to reflect on it. So when we did our White House event, Tony Shea was one of the guests. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the event, he pulled us aside and he was like, guys, are there some people here? that you wouldn't have to your house for dinner or be their friend or introduce them to your family if they didn't have their personal or professional success. And we are like, yeah, of course, but that's not what we were tasked with. They didn't say like, hey, just bring your favorite, you know, cool entrepreneurs or whatever. Yeah. So there were some people that we don't need to go into, but that, you know, weren't necessarily of that quality that like, you know, we really enjoyed their company or you know, had values alignment. And he goes, well, yeah, they can't come anymore. He goes, when you're building community, your culture is your most important thing and if they don't fit your culture then they can't be a part of what you're doing and we it's you know now it's 2021 you've heard these words so many times if you're in business or if you like self-educate in business this was like a revelation to us we had never thought about you know he of course then like came out with the book delivering happiness and you know um, and 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 that was one of his like key skill sets was understanding this so that night we it just was a mind-blowing bit of feedback. That's when we came up with the criteria for summit, which was one, are these people innovators in their field regardless of their discipline? And two, are they kind, open-minded, nice people that we would have to our parents' house for dinner if they weren't professionally successful? And uh, you know, so and, and I think that, that plus the idea that it was like kind of double opt-in, we met everyone that we would invite to summit events to make sure that those two criteria were met and not only in those early days, still to this day, we have like a team of community directors that work with us that, you know, still curate for a living in a sense. Um, But it was always through relationships, right? Like, of course you can write into Summit and apply to attend the events, but a lot of the original people like yourself have a similar story where a friend came, really enjoyed themselves, got value out of it, gave value to it, and then, you know, invited their buddies to it.
1: No, that's incredible. It's something that I've been thinking a ton about because, you know, as you know, I I am the founder of of Hint, but also the CEO of Hint and and a lot of my employees are millennials. And I think community mm-hmm. is something that I look back on, you know, 15 years ago when I started Hint, it's just become more and more important in the company. And I think it's really, I, I give it to, you know, I think millennials get a lot of uh, slack, you know, sent their way. Like, oh, they're lazy. They're this. They're this. You know, by ex- especially by my generation, the Gen X generation, and I actually am sort of counter to that. Frequently in talking about millennials, I'm like, they brought community. They brought the importance of actually hanging out and being with people that you like and Mm -hmm. um anyway i think that it's such an important thing and i've never really i mean obviously i've thought about summit as such a great thing but i think it's really interesting because it wasn't like you wanted to go start a company it sounds like what you wanted to do was actually bring ideas together right more first and we were already we were entrepreneurs
0: we were already entrepreneurs we had started different companies like I think that you're kind of afflicted with entrepreneurialism or not, in a sense. Like, you certainly, it's something that can be learned. And many people that do not start their careers as entrepreneurs and build a great skill set in something else ultimately are much better at it than, like, guys like myself, um, who, you know, like, this is essentially all... I, I was not a good employee anywhere, right? I never built a trade. I'm not a lawyer. I don't have a... I, you know, there's so many people that spent time in banking that then, you know, moved into entrepreneurial activities and then crushed it right or like you know all these other disciplines so i wouldn't say that it's exclusive to people that have like a gene for it but we were certainly always like starting our own things and building our own things so like i i would think of it as like a makers kind of mentality that you know um that that i think we had early on but to your point about millennials just because i think it's interesting to talk about entitlement culture is kind of real but Mm -hmm that's just through exposure. Like we're the first generation to know what we're missing in a sense based on, because of the internet, right? Like in the same way that, you know, the Arab Spring had a lot to do with the transparency of, you know, the size of their rulers' houses or the way that politics are carried out in neighboring countries. Um, Similarly, I think that, you know, that impatience that you see with like, you know, uh, many people in my generation is just through exposure. But what I'll also say is I think it's kind of like, an intergenerational PR smear campaign, because, you know, we're the first generation to make less than our parents' generation. There's less opportunities. 2008 was like the beginning of the Great Recession, right? So mm-hmm. you you have this playing field that's unequal in a sense, but, you know, it's not like I can buy a house for a half million dollars or for $250,000. I guess you can, depending upon the neighborhood, but it's like, you know, I think that some of the things that feel like the grounding, you know, accomplishments of a lifetime are, 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 are a bit out of reach for my generation in a way that previous generations had. Um, so it's, I, it is definitely an unfair assertion that, you know, like millennials are lazy. It's like, well, I mean, a lot of it has to do with opportunity.
1: Yeah, no, I absolutely. And I think that the discussion, it's something, you know, my book came out in October, and I've heard from a ton of millennials. And again, I'm a Gen Xer. So I'm not a, uh, uh, you know, I think for for me, the responsibility is not just to say, it's, you know, millennials are this and, and that. Instead, it's like, well, how do we all work together? Right. And how do we fix some of these issues? And I think also just the whole topic of mental health is also something that millennials, I think, brought forward and said, Mm -hmm. you know, we need to talk about this and we need to own it and fix it and do what we can to support each other. And, you know, the Gen X generation wasn't doing it. Instead, if you had mental health issues, um, if you were, you know, having a kid and having challenges at home, you didn't talk about it at work. I mean, it's a very, very different kind of, you know, mentality and discussion, mm-hmm. I think, that goes on that I really hand it to the millennials for saying that we need it. And frankly, I have four Gen Zers at home, and I think it's, uh, you know, something I look at constantly because how is that generation different and how are they going to change and and uh What do you think? I mean, how, how do you, like, how do you see that next generation general Zers? And
0: I've been, from a, from a corporate perspective, like the founders that we meet that are like 24, 25 years old are remarkable, incredible. I mean, like the, the people that work at Summit that, you know, fit into that Gen Z category run our company now to a great degree. So it's like in, in ways it's, it's amazing when, you find people that are better at core components of your business or enterprise that are better than you. And like, we've been really lucky I'd say with like that experience. And then in terms of, you know, like the protests and, you know, sort of the enforcement of civil rights for people that aren't in, that don't match your skin color or gender or, you know like the, the, to really like sacrifice your own benefit on behalf of other people. I thought that, you know, that that was something of the past in a sense. And this last year, I think Gen Z really carried the torch. And if you looked at, like, who was on the front lines of these, you know, police brutality protests, Black Lives Matter protests, and, you know, like, uh, the Women's March on Washington. I mean, like, the the leaders of these movements, not only are Gen Z, um, they also have gotten hit to the game. And like, they've been disappointed in ways at a young age that I think that, are surprising to them that like, you know, came later for us in a sense, like other people's self-interest and, and, you know, like your efforts. Um, And the, the reaction where I find like Gen X, we're such like an obscure topic now, but like, you know, it's a much more sort of independent.
1: like obscure though. That's
0: good. Okay. Okay. I don't know. I don't know the audience necessarily, but, uh, (laughs) But, like, you know, I find that, like, most of my, you know, Gen X fans don't really trust the system in a sense. Like, it's very independent. It wasn't, like, as much of a team sport to the same degree. Um, You know, groups like the Future Coalition, Katie Etter, um, one Mm -hmm. of, like, you know, the Gen Gen Z environmental leaders, Um, you know, she started with the high school walkouts for gun violence um, and i think what she saw is that there's like you know 30 different leaders that are her age who all had these amazing platforms and millions of people behind them and if they could collaborate with one another they would boost their messages to a tremendous degree right like we weren't hit to that even though summit was like the whole idea was to gather and collaborate with people that weren't inside your own company like how could you know, our liberation be bound up together. I think that they got it and get it in a way that like we weren't really close to. So, um, I'm, 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 you know, I'm excited to just, uh, take a back seat, be, be a chairman, not work too hard and let, uh, let Shinzi drive the bus.
1: And let them drive it. That's awesome. So what, so getting back to summit. So, uh, you know, obviously you Guys have been cl- planning amazing events, and so you finally you built that mountain at Eden. Talk to us a little bit about that back in the early days. How did you decide to make that move?
0: I think that uh, this was our this was our thinking. Uh, we thought that summit was representative of an emergent culture and ethos of like creativity and collaboration and entrepreneurship, um, and we felt that for movements that lasted the test of time they needed roots they needed a home they needed a physical place that could be you know the embodiment of that culture i think that you know we traveled we were very nomadic in our first say you know decade of building summit and you know would move the company from place to place move the events from place to place um one because it kept it fresh but two because we didn't really feel that there was like a physical location that really like embodied that culture um and Powder Mountain was essentially like a broken private equity deal. They had tried to sell it for you know a lot more money um, throughout that 2008 to 2011 period, and it was just you know a perfectly unique moment in time before you know I think that these businesses turned back on in a huge way, where you know the mountain was quietly for sale, and we had this pre-existing community of people that, regardless of where we were, we were going to have a fun time together. So the idea that I also say that we also love nature, you know, like the idea of being in a place that was like an hour from an international airport, um, you know, close enough to like the major hubs like SF and LA and easy to get to, you know, NY or wherever else. And, and there, you know, there's no streetlights, there's no stoplights in even Utah. Powder Mountain is like this 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 sort of last great gym, if you think about it, like you know, founded in 1972 one of the largest ski resorts in the United States. It's 100% privately owned. It's not a land lease like the majority of, you know, ski resorts. And, you know, we really had this vision of like living in a national park. Like how could we be great stewards of the land? There's a great like Andy Warhol quote that the greatest art, you know, is owning a beautiful piece of land and not screwing it up, right? So we, you know, went through the process of buying the mountain um you know we there's that's a whole we could do a whole you know two-hour podcast just on that craziness (laughs) but um you know through the again like we were just blessed by the idea that we were young and naive and we had really really brilliant friends um that we could engage to help guide all these different processes whether it was acquiring the mountain or doing the due diligence checklist or how to actually raise the money and structure the deal to building roads and infrastructure and coming up with an architectural vernacular so like I was 27 when we bought Powder Mountain and had no experience in any of this stuff. But again, it went from like, it was sort of like that first phone call with Brett. You know, I went from like not having an excuse to like learn about all these things and get to play in the space to having like the best excuse. And because it was, you know, such a bold vision, it attracted really remarkable, you know, founding neighbors and amazing land planners and master developers and architects. And so, We got to, you know, really like sit at the feet of greatness. And one of the things I think we're most proud of is that, you know, it came out beautiful. Like we built this mountaintop village and five and a half miles of contiguous road and five new neighborhoods. And, you know, we have a wonderful community that's formed up there. And I mean, just to sort of fast forward to now, what's amazing is that. With Summit, I think we hosted every weekend for like four years at the mountain to build the beat, right? Like we just never stopped hosting people. And during the week, we would do charrettes where we'd learn about all these disciplines that we had to get like an accelerated doctorate in, in order to not screw this up. Um, it's like a development term for when you like learn about a specific area of interest or, or focus. Um, and then we would host every single weekend up there. And what's amazing now with Summit in general is that there's now hundreds of neighbors that also are hosting their own things and bringing their own friends and using the lodges and spaces to, to do their gatherings. Of course, you know, COVID, COVID permitting now. So it sort of went from this like singular orbit to having kind of like an ecosystem or a solar system of people building and, and hosting and, and growing that community up there.
1: I love it. Well, you are feeding into something that I talk about a lot, which is being a lifelong learner too. And even though the stuff was hard and you weren't exactly sure how it was all going to work out, you just kept jumping in and saying, okay, let's, let's get the architect. Let's get right. Like, let's invite some more people. Let's just keep going. And, and I think that I'm sure that really was, uh, also helping your curiosity too to just become better right? And overall. So I think that's that's super, super awesome. And it's great Thank that you, you were able to jump forward and, and do that. So one of the quotes that I, I dug up on uh, from Jeff, get ready, that I found it interesting that you don't like the phrase, keeping it real. And uh, Jeff, why is it important to keep life surreal instead of real?
0: It's not my quote. It's a it's a friend of ours named Michael Hebb, who's like, uh, the food provocateur of his generation like he's kind of like a, a, he was a pop-up dinner and he understood sort of like the the deep uh opportunity that the dinner table presents right like you know it's it could be seen as the greatest piece of human technology ever created like where we came to break bread collaborate scheme for a better future for ourselves and for others Um, and so this idea you know with, with summit events we went from like throwing a younger hipper TED or conference that you know is lecture driven to you know creating social sculpture, like having better metaphors, you know, the idea that, you know, through the narrative and and arc and incorporation of different experiences, you can change the texture of someone's memory, right? Like you can have like something that really sticks out in your mind from the past, right? Like what was a really truly transformational experience, a peak experience? And, you know, Michael at one point was like, hey, you know how people say keep it real? And we were like, yeah. He was like, don't do that. It's so like you got to keep it surreal. You just got to do things that are a little bit beyond people's expectation and imagination. It's about surprise and delight. And I mean, I'll give you some examples. I was thinking about this. Our DC 10 event, um, 2010 was probably like our first real conference. And we had Ted Turner speak and Mark Cuban and Michelle Ree and John Legend and like all these amazing talks. But we also had uh, tea and cookies with mine and Elliot's grandmothers. They were the two living grandmas, I think, out of our our uh, four co-founders. And uh, they literally baked, and uh, you know, and everybody showed up and had an incredible time. And so it was also like a window in for us that, like you know, the the key components of experiences were happening outside of the lectures, right? They were. You know, they were the more humanistic, the more fun, the more like sticky shared experiences that people were having. And so that's what, as we grew Summit, we started to, you know, build towards versus like by the time you got to base camp, this was like this ideology was deep in our thinking about how we would, you know, build and administer these events and experiences.
1: I absolutely love it. And you had you had another one you like to say generosity breeds abundance and I know you're talking about that a lot on your podcast as well the Jeff's podcast which is amazing and he actually had me on as a as a guest as well but Art of the Hustle and it's such a good podcast with so many amazing entrepreneurs on there too. So I I love that you're doing that as well and you've got I I was you know as you're talking I was thinking about I wonder. I, I think Jeff might have a, the biggest network I know of people. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, you just know so many people. It's just, it's crazy, right? And I believe that it's not just a high high. I, I feel like you actually understand people, and you really have taken the time to understand people, which I think is just really lovely in so many ways. And um, so I, I appreciate that.
0: Well, thank you. I think that's a consequence of my profession. You know, it's. Where, where our job was, you know, to build community um, and, you know, the validation of sort of the summit platform was being able to thoughtfully connect people in ways that would be beneficial to them personally or professionally or whatever it was like, you know, it could be a health issue. It could be an existential issue. It could be selling a company. It could be hiring a performance marketer, right? Like for us, what's really fun is that, you know, because of the nature of our, of our profession, sort of the community that we gather, you know the the outcome is that we know brilliant people in all of these different spaces and not only do we know you know the top people in those spaces we know what they're into and what they're going to resonate with right so it made us really great you know connectors where a simple idea for us you know just it pops in our heads where we're like oh wow these two people from these different disciplines or, you know, maybe different generations in the same discipline, you know, should definitely know each other and would love to collaborate because these things are complementary. That became really, I mean, amazing for us because we went from, again, like not having anything really of value to bring to the table for all of these like remarkable people like yourself um, and your husband uh, and, 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 you know, to having like these deep wonderful relationships that, you know, um, we're always learning through. So to your point about lifelong learning, like it's, that's, I think that it takes, you know, you build a reputation and drops and you lose it in buckets and there's a triangulation of goodwill. So when you talk about that generosity breeds abundance quote, it's that's, that's essentially what we're thinking. Like to give without the expectation of return is the greatest way to get forward in in life. It, it's It's counterintuitive and it's paradoxical, but that's our experience. It's not like some hippie bullshit that like I read, and you know, put on a poster. It's like, this was our life experience. We had n- no business being in 99% of the rooms that we were in, but through exposure to all of these different people and platforms and disciplines and ways of thinking and seeing and working, it made it. So there was like some pattern recognition between these silos. Right. So I also think that the timing is great, right? Like this is not, this wouldn't have had any value in nineteen ninety like these silos of different businesses were pretty well-defined whereas now we're kind of like all in each other's stuff like you as well right like you have advocacy things that are really important to you you're an author you're an entrepreneur you're a mom you're like all of these like you're eight you know we're all like eight ten people in professions in one these days so um so i true. think that yeah summit was just like this incredible accelerator for us and for the people that participated in it over the
1: years no, I absolutely love that. So your your book is coming out in October of this year. So excited for that. Uh, my book mm-hmm. had launched in October. We're October oh, babies, yeah. right? Make so No Small a-
0: Plans is the name of the book.
1: I love um, it. Thank so you. tell us a little bit about it.
0: It's just our story. You know, it's like we, it's, it's how the four of us met. My, my co-founders, Jeremy, Brett, Elliot, and myself um you know a lot of it is just like the early days and the early team that came together to build summit a lot of the experiences that we had and um what we tried to make sure that we would do throughout the whole thing was like really kind of tell the real story uh you know it's not necessarily that flattering to us like i can sound quite sophisticated now i'm 36 i like did a bunch of stuff i had a bunch of experiences but the way that we learned these things were embarrassing often and like you know um, I think that critical feedback is like the great gift, right like plenty of people will tell you like, Hey, yeah, it's great, and just like never paid much attention or talk to you again or really help you grow so um ultimately, like we try to just like share the lessons that we learned throughout the throughout the process and all of the you know big great stories that that were definitive along the way so but you know like we 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 also feel like it's a little premature to be writing like a book like this because you know we're we're still at you know the front half of the journey and i think that in terms of like expertise you know like uh, when you see a player in a professional sports league they've they've played three or four seasons they make an all-star game and and that's great and they could be terrific but when you see people who are like on their 18th 19th season have just been you know like playing championship levels for that long it's a different thing altogether in in business and impact and you know, like in, in in civic participation, these are like lifetime sports, right? So the people that, you know, we look up to the most have been in the game a lot, lot longer than us. But, um, you know, I think that we're just hoping that, you know, people that are on their own entrepreneurial journeys, uh, you know, it can be valuable to them. And that was really what we were trying to air towards. It wasn't like, how do we, you know, puff up our chests? It was like, how do we, you know, tell tell really meaningful stories and and try to explain some of the components that like, you know, Led to us going from from uh, zero to where we are today, and, and what was what feels now, you know, relatively short amount of time.
1: Yeah, no, definitely, and I think it's. Uh, I mean, that's that's a lot of what my book does as well. I mean, there's there's stories in there where even John Legend, who's one of our investors, I mean, John got a preview of my book, and he said I kept turning the pages and then I, and saying, okay, this is where they shut the company down. And then I said, wait, oh wait, they didn't shut the company down. And it's just, you know, it's a story of for, for me, it was a reflection. It was actually therapy in many ways. This was my journal. Um, I mean, maybe a lot, you know, very similar, maybe you didn't call it a journal, but the stories I would share with some friends, not all of them, but they would say, God, you know, I'd I'd see you and you actually held your stuff together pretty well, but there were points where you were like, you know, really teetering off of a cliff and we were, and it was just, and, and I think it's, uh, but I think that knowing that, I mean, you'll learn, I think over time too. I mean, I look at what you've built as pretty fantastic and pretty spectacular and stuff that you've, and you know, it's not all shiny along the way and you had fears and failures and doubts and you clearly, you know, as you talked about, you had doubters, I had doubters as well. But I mean, I think at the core of it is that you tried and you built something pretty damn awesome and that you guys should be really proud of
0: thank you i think you and i are more similar entrepreneurs like you know there's people like the founders of nixon the watch company they like performed exactly to the plan their first year or like you know caitlin smith at simple mills like just she's lights out it's kind of ridiculous like she planned it and then did it and it worked for for us in our early days we had plenty of, we had we had a term for it you're referring to it's called final fridays Because Friday is the last day you can send the check in before the banks close for the weekend. Right. So, so I think that, you know, when you're in your early years, having those final Fridays is, you know, like unnecessary and not to be celebrated because it's avoidable. And like, you know, it has to do with really bringing in people that have like walked the paths before to advise you in a deep way. Like it took us too long to have like a real board and have brilliant people who are like incentivized in our success, who have done it 20 times over, who are more sophisticated than you, you know, like to, to like really help you down the path. We didn't really have that. I don't think you did either at that stage. Right. Like, so it's avoidable and it shouldn't be celebrated. However, it also means that you're living on your edge. You know, it means that you're like pushing it to the limit, which is typically the way that you, you break through. Right. So like, a lot of people quit early totally. to be honest with you, a lot of people could have built what we built, could have you know outshined us in our space in 2010, there were plenty of other organizations that were building communities and companies like ours, right conferences, and most of them just tagged out before they found a model that worked right And like I think that you know for us, it was so we just loved it. like if you don't love it, you're going to be out of the game because like it's hard, no matter what you do, especially. Going from like zero to one. um, And someone will run circles around you because, like, what's work for you is pleasure for them. So, like, we just absolutely loved what we did. um, And it made it so, you know, it was all work and it was all play. But, you know, in order to like jump to a more sophisticated place, I think that if I were to advise people, like, you don't need to do that. Like, you can, you can if you, you know, refine the idea and get to a place where. You know, like it's really thoughtful what you're doing. Like, and everything takes, you know, iterations and everything takes pivots and everything, you know, nothing's perfect. And you should start by starting and, like, you know, let it break a little bit along the way. But uh, the, the one piece of advice I would give that's counter to, to our experiences is I do think that, like, once it was clear that we had some lightning in a bottle, we had something really special. I I I if I had to do it over again, I would have put some some advisors and some board members around us, you know, earlier in the process to avoid a couple of those uh, those stressful moments.
1: Yeah, and I think that the thing that I've realized though is that, and probably those advisors and board members would say this too. If you, you know, I don't know, maybe give them a glass of wine and had them really took take a look at who they are, they wouldn't mm-hmm. have actually taken the risks that you did sure right they wouldn't build what you built and so i i always say to people when you're starting companies it's it's um i remember like the 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 people that we had early 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 that were scrappy and i would be really sad when they were leaving and you know we were getting to sort of the next level and mm-hmm. you know they just they didn't want bosses right there there were i mean i could go through that's an hour in and of itself totally but, You have to be able to recognize as you're getting to these different stages what you need in order to grow and it's so hard and it's probably the hardest thing about being a founder and asking yourself like what more do i need but i i think that those visionary founders which clearly is what you are i think that none of this gets started without the visionary founder right and and frankly when you know, the visionary founder totally disconnects from projects, that's how they end up getting messed up, unfortunately. So sure. I think it's something that, you know, I've learned over the years, you know, that is really important. And and while people want to come in and dot all the I's and cross all the T's and put balance sheets and EBITDA and everything else sure. in there, like without your like visionary leadership and, it, you know, that it's, it's an important piece that you should not don't let anybody ever tell you that that is not important because it is
0: i i I appreciate that i agree with you it's not often you see a brand or a voice change in something that was like founder led once it started right Mm -hmm. it's pretty rare where like you know it's the the whole kind of identity of of a brand shifts because it wouldn't have worked in the first place if that vision had been executed on. but I love I love what you're saying about the people. The way I think about it, it's like, those were the pirates, you know, that jumped on your yeah. pirate ship where you were, they were like, where are you sailing? You're like, I don't know. They're like, great, let's rock. And, right. you know, it's like, it's like they learned how to do the jobs as like the jobs came to us, right? And as the business scaled. And, you know, when you're later in a process, to your point, it's like a different, the stability, excitement trade-off to a degree changes, the the sort of like existence in no system is where you thrive versus like the necessity of a system at a certain scale in order to really grow into something big. And that's why most founders aren't like founder CEOs like yourself, right? Like most mm-hmm. are more like me where it's like, you know, myself and my co-founders, we were really good founders, but we're not the right CEOs for our ventures at this point in time, right? Like there's there's whereas like, you know, I always admire, you know, folks like yourself that can do both and and really, like, grew to the challenge um, and responsibility to being, you know, the person responsible day to day for the governance of the organization. Right? Like, I, I thrive with a team and love the fact that I'm not that responsible party. Frankly, it's fascinating because, like, the people that you know work at Summit today are like the most capable, talented, brilliant, you know, like people that we couldn't have attracted in 2010. That being said. The people that worked at Summit in 2010 had like the craziest ingenuity and like just pulled rabbit out of rabbit out of hats to like, you know, bring the venture forward. Right. So, you know, there's no I don't know how to value other than uh, like it's not that one's better than the other. It's that like you really do need both depending upon the stage of the organization.
1: And I think but I I laugh at that because I look back. People often ask me, how do you get those first people? And I said, so picture this. This woman who had been a tech executive with four kids under the age of four says, I'm going to start a beverage company. Come join me. Like all Mm. they needed to do was have a heartbeat. Right. I said, I mean, like, why should they believe me? Right. I didn't have, I I was using my own money. I mean, right. Like, it's just, it's crazy. And I mean, the same with you. You're, you're like, eventually we're going to bring a lot of people together and it's going to be great. And you know, then we're going to go build a mountain. I mean, the, the, the I owe so much to those early people who actually followed me, mm-hmm. right? And 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 that, and I look at it, but I also look at those people too, and I say that they're good for the build. They don't need the go do this, go do this, go do this, right? They'll just go, and they'll go get some stuff done, and a bunch of watermelons will hopefully like stay on the cart, right? Yeah. And some, and hopefully not too many will fall off, but they will, they'll fall off and hopefully it won't be that big of a disaster. But that, those people are so critical. And it, it's just, uh, anyway, I think it's something, I'm sure you have so many stories. I cannot wait to read your book, so. Oh,
0: well, thank you, Kara, I really appreciate it. I
1: will be a. I I will buy the pre-release for sure. And you have to let us know, I'm actually launching um, a LinkedIn Live just for authors. So when it comes out, I'm going to be uh, interviewing people just out of my own curiosity. Yeah. So definitely we'll have you on for that too. So anyway, where do people find you, Jeff? What's, what's the best way on social?
0: Uh, I'm pretty private on social. I don't know. I, uh, I'm, you know, summit.co if you want to learn more about summit Um, and, you know, hello at summit.co if uh, we should be collaborating in some way, shape or form and uh, you know, I just want to say thank you again for listening and Kara for you having me on. I really am flattered and appreciative and, you know, I uh, hope that, that my you know, thoughts and experience uh, experiences are valuable and helpful to anybody that's, you know, listening this far into the podcast and just, uh, yeah. And then of course, if you ski or if you mountain bike, or if you just appreciate camping in beautiful places, Powder Mountain, Eden, Utah, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous spot to do all of those things.
1: I love it. So, thanks, everyone, and thank you, Jeff, so much for sharing the journey and giving so much inspiration. And I love talking about just entrepreneurs and having their own fears and owning things, and you know that they've done along the way. And you clearly have head on sort of achieved so much. Um, and have shared so much of that with us too. So, really, super, super appreciate it. So, thanks, everyone. We're here every Monday and Wednesday. Give Jeff five stars and let everybody know that we're doing this great podcast uh, at the Kara Golden Show. And come back and and uh, say hi. All right, thanks, everyone. Bye bye. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for